Included Podcast starts right now. Welcome back to another edition of the Asman and Budic Show. Dan Budic alongside Jake Asman. Jake, no guests on this one, but we're talking a little bit about the NFL Draft, the NBA All-Star Game coming up, uh, the, the NBA All-Star Game coming up, and Saga with A-Rod, once again with the Yankees, is spring training just over a week away as players, as pitchers and catchers will report, but A-Rod, of course, set to give an apology to the first week of spring training when he gets there, and earlier in the week, he met with the Yankees' front office brass, and we'll begin with A-Rod, Dan, because as always with the Yankees, there's always some sort of circus involving Alex Rodriguez. And of course, he missed the entire 2014 season due to his suspension with the relation with biogenesis and all the madness that ensued after that. But for the Yankees going forward, there's so many issues surrounding Alex Rodriguez. First off, you don't know what you have left in the guy. He still has three more years remaining under contract with the team. And for him to go and apologize to the Yankees brass doesn't really do all that much for me as a Yankee fan. You know what? The bottom line is Alex Rodriguez is going to report to spring training. He can say whatever he wants to the fans, to the media, when he shows up. But at the end of the day, unless Alex Rodriguez proves that he can still be a serviceable Major League Baseball player, I have a funny feeling that if he's off to a slow start, the Yankees might as well cut him because they don't need the distraction that is A-Rod for a guy that is not producing. The guy hasn't played in a year. He's turning 40 years old. He's coming up two hip surgeries. If he can't be a productive player, it would not surprise me at all if the Yankees decided to just release him. That's an interesting point. I don't know if they're going to go about that route. I think he's going to get every opportunity this year to show that he could be a DH or he could play. Well, if he gets off to a slow start. Well, yeah, then they're put in a tough situation. But I they might cut him. There's, there's no reason to keep him. I don't know if they're going to eat the rest of that money on that contract. If there was one year left on the contract, yes, but three years left, I, I don't know if they're going to cut him. I but if he's done now, if he's done now and he's already a distraction and he can't do anything, it doesn't matter what how much they owe him. He won't be on the team. He's not a productive player. But I happen to be in the camp that I think Aaron could be you know, a, a decent player. Now, we don't know what he's going to be. Obviously, you would, you would think he's clean at this point. But you look at Alex Rodriguez – Two years ago, he had about 250, had about 17 home runs. He wasn't awful. He wasn't awful when he came back in uh, from injuries in 2012. And when he was back in 2013 off uh, his injury with the hip surgery, and he played a little bit, he wasn't good. At, he wasn't that great, but he wasn't awful. He's still better than what they had at third base. I, I agree with you, but I don't know if he's better than Chase Headley right now. And I, and I think sitting out a whole year for a guy in his upper 30s, I, I think it's rough. I, I don't know how much he's going to give the Yankees this year, but I agree with you. I don't think it really matters what he says uh, to anyone, to the Yankees brass, uh, when he comes to spring training, what he says you know, to the fans, to the yes me. Well, his legacy is already you know, set. It, it doesn't matter. I, I think what the Yankee fans want and what the Yankees want is for him to be productive. I don't think they care what he says. I think they want, they just want to be able to get something out of him and know that you know, you're paying this guy all this money. You're getting some sort of production. At this point, whatever he says is is, is wash. I mean, he lied, he's lied multiple times. Who knows if he's telling the truth? Who knows if he's really even sincere? I mean, who even really knows Alex Rodriguez? It's, it's really it's become a saga of Alex Rodriguez, and the Yankees were able to get away from it last year because he wasn't on the team. He was obviously suspended for the season. But, you know, it's, it's key for him to come into spring training and, and, and work hard because he's got to earn a spot on this team. He's got to earn – a chance to play because I don't think there's any doubt that if he's not producing, 
Joe Girardi and the Yankees are not just going to throw him into the lineup as a DH. There are a lot of other options for them to put at DH. I think it's A-Rod's job to, to earn a spot as a designated hitter. If he can play third, who knows? You know, I heard a lot in the last couple of days about maybe if you put Teixeira at DH, you could play A-Rod at first if he could pick up first base. I really don't know. But if he could be productive for the Yankees, Jake, I agree with you. It's a plus. Anything you get out of A-Rod is a plus. Anything you get out of A-Rod is a plus. Because realistically, and getting back to your point about what he could say to the fans, it doesn't matter. It, it, is, matter. it is washed at this point. Alex Rodriguez is never going to be able to fix his reputation. The only thing Alex Rodriguez can do is he goes out there and he says, listen, I made mistakes. Uh, I, I, I could apologize all I want. I know it's not going to mean anything. Let me go try and help the Yankees win a World Series. And the bottom line is that if he does that, Yankee fans will support him. They may not love the guy. He may not. He's never going to be their favorite player. He's never going to be Derek Jeter. We all know that. But the bottom line is if he gives them anything, I'm sure the Yankees will take it. And if he doesn't, it would not surprise me if they cut bait because there's no reason to keep a 40-year-old guy that can only DH most likely at this point in his career. And he can't hit He can't hit, He can't. can't hit. left-handers anymore. He can't really hit righties anymore. So he's going to be a, you know, a, a pure DH in that lineup. He's got $62 million left on his contract for three years. You're talking about a situation where you buy him out and you're paying him for a long time. Yeah, I mean. I mean, they might not have a choice. It's it's an interesting point. They might not have a choice. I just don't know. I think the Yankees are going to give him every opportunity to produce. And they should because they're paying him a lot of money as we just talked about. But here's the thing. Getting back to whether or not Yankee fans will forgive him, they're never going to forgive him. But if he goes out there and produces, they'll tolerate him. They'll support him. The ninth inning, game's tied, bases loaded, Alex Rodriguez is up. You can't tell me as a Yankee fan you're rooting for him to strike out. You may not love the guy, but if he helps your team win, you'll support him. He's your guy. And, and, that, and that's a good point. It's, it's a matter of, like I said before, it really doesn't matter what Alex says. It's, it's, it's garbage at this point. No one, no one can trust Alex Rodriguez. You can't trust what he says, but the production he gives you is a plus. And, and this is something that the you know Joe Girardi is going have to have to, have to do a good job managing. This is going to be a tough managerial situation for him only because he's a monster distraction, especially coming into spring, spring training. is And that's where you want to mold your team together and you got to deal with this Alex Rodriguez situation. I think Joe Girardi, and you know Joe Girardi is a great manager. I, I, he does a great job with the Yankees, obviously won the World Series a couple of years ago. This is going to be a very tough start to this season because they're going to have a lot to deal with. This is a monster headache that they have to deal with. Yeah, and you know the, the question becomes now with Alex Rodriguez is what does he have left once you get past the whole circus of him making his appearance in the media and him speaking to the fans or whatever he's going to say it, it doesn't really matter once again it gets back to what does this guy have left if he can produce he'll have an opportunity to earn a spot and get some playing time if he can't then it becomes what do you do you got a 40 year old and I think personally of the Yankees will buy him out and then another thing that the Yankees are discussing internally is what do they do about the home run bonus if he passes Willie Mays and if he passes Willie Mays Dan and gets I think about he's six home runs away from tying seven to pass realistically if he has something left he'll hit at least seven home runs this year so he'll get so he'll he'll be due six million dollars per milestone in this case passing Willie Mays on the all-time home run list the Yankees have said they don't want to pay it Obviously, if Alex Rodriguez wants to fight it and say it's in my contract, you should pay it. That could lead to a whole another argument. You can get the players' union involved. You can go through arbitration. That could be a huge distraction for the Yankees. It could be a huge distraction, but I have a feeling, and I, I don't know why, but I just have a feeling that Arod's gonna that that he's gonna come and that they're the Yankees and him are gonna agree that you know maybe he's not gonna get all of the incentives, maybe a little bit of it, if not any at all. I just think. Well, re- well, Dan, realistically. And realistically, he's only going to be able to get one of those six million incentives. He's not going to get. He's at Alex Rodriguez is at six hundred and fifty something home Whatever runs right is, now. Yeah. 
714 is the next milestone after he passes Willie Mays. That's Babe Root's number. He's not going to get the 714 home runs. Alex Rodriguez hasn't hit more than 30 home runs in a season in, in the last four years. No, so you figure that's the last milestone he's going to get. I just can't see him fight. If the Yankees don't want to pay him, I think they'll come to an agreement where, or some sort of an agreement. I can't see him fighting it where it becomes a big distraction over the team. That's the last thing I think Alex wants after what's happened over the last couple of years, and obviously it's the last thing the Yankees want. Well, here's the thing. If Alex Rodriguez is really smart, what he does is he breaks the, the milestone record if he has anything left and he can prove that he could play, and he takes that $6 million and he donates it to charity. That will make him look better. He's taking the money for a meaningless milestone at this point because it's tainted with his steroid use. doesn't do anything. If you if he really cares about his public perception, which you know he does because he's always tried to you know do things the right way, he, he cares a lot. That would be a smart thing to do. And one thing about A-Rod, and you could say whatever you want about the guy, all his things that he's done, he's done to himself. I don't know if Alex Rodriguez is necessarily a bad guy. He's hurt himself. He's He hasn't hurt other people. I mean, the guy was nice enough to offer up his apartment in New York City to John Sterling, the Yankees' longtime announcer, who his house was burned down, his apartment was burned down in a fire. That's a nice thing that Alex Rodriguez did. Another great point that Michael Kay always mentions, obviously, Michael Kay, for those who don't know, was the voice of the Yankees on the Yes Network. When Michael Kay's mother died in 2006, Alex Rodriguez was the only Yankees player to send flowers to the funeral. I'm not saying he's not a bad guy. I'm not saying he's, uh, excuse me, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. I'm just trying to point out that even though you might hate Alex Rodriguez, most fans do, I feel like, that, you know what, the guy might not be the worst human being in the world, which is why if you were to do something like take that money and maybe donate it to charity, that'd make a lot of sense. It would make a lot of sense, and it would, I guess, bring a bright star to his image, which has been so bad the last couple years. But I even think after the thing in 09, you know, with the Selena Roberts, and he came out and he apologized, he was, it wasn't like he was, like, blacklisted then. It was, you know, A-Rod did steroids, whatever. It wasn't until two years ago. Well, because A-Rod said on that well, day, judge me till this day forward, and he spit in the face of that and did it again. Exactly. And then he, the whole thing with the MLBPA, when he went on with Mike and lied, Mike Francesa, obviously in New York, and lied, and then... He would have done anything he can. He sued the players' union. He sued the Yankees team doctor, Chris Ahmad, for malpractice. I mean, he he just took the Lance Armstrong approach and just threw people under the bus that did nothing wrong. And that's that's how Alex Rodriguez's image really tanked, is when when he said, you know what? I have nothing to lose. I'm going to bring down the MLBPA. I'm going to bring down Major League Baseball. And he tried to bring down Bud Selig. He tried to bring down Bud Selig. And in Bud Selig's last couple of years... As Major League Baseball's commissioner, obviously, Rob Manfred, now the commissioner over the last three weeks since uh, Selig stepped down, he was trying to bring down Bud Selig's legacy until the day he retired. And, and Alex Rodriguez, really, that's where he ruined his image as far as I'm concerned. The whole steroid thing, you know, a lot of guys do steroid. It's the way he handled himself, the lying, the, uh, the constant lying, really. That's why I think, like I said earlier, whatever he says means nothing to the Yankees. It means nothing to the Yankee fans. It's what he does on the field how he helps the 2015 Yankees get a championship. And that's, about, the and that's the bottom line. If he helps them win games, you won't necessarily forgive him or you won't necessarily think that, oh, he, I love Alex Rodriguez, he's my favorite player. But you're not going to sit here and you're not going to root against Alex Rodriguez. The bottom line is, and we've been saying it, if he could prove that he could produce, he's going to be a very uh, effective player for the Yankees and the Yankee fans will then support him. That's what it comes down to. And then... Obviously, whatever he has left will go from there, but obviously spring training coming up just a week away. It's a big story. It's going to be a massive story, and once the dust settles, we'll find out what Alex Rodriguez has left. We'll find out where he fits into the puzzle for the Yankees. Is it a third? Is he going to DH full-time? Remember, 
You know, Mark Teixeira didn't produce that much last year for the Yankees either. He didn't have a good year last year for the Yankees. Where does Teixeira fit into the mix as far as DHing is concerned and getting him in as a DH? You know, that's the thing with the Yankees. It's not like A-Rod's going to be the prototypical DH where he plays every, every game at DH. The Yankees can't afford that. They can't afford that right now with the way their team is constructed. It's where they fit Alex Rodriguez into, the, into this lineup, and Joe Girardi's going to have his hands full. No question about that, Dan. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to get into the All-Star game. It's being hosted at Madison Square Garden and, of course, the Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Of course, the All-Star game is in New York City this upcoming weekend. We'll talk a little basketball. We'll talk a little bit Carmelo Anthony. And we'll get into all that. And a little bit later in the show, we'll talk about the winston Mariota debate and what we think our New York Jets should possibly do at that number six spot. This is the Asmund Abutic Show. We'll be back right after this. You are listening to the Asmund and Butic Podcast on ICTV.org and on iTunes. Welcome back to the Asmund and Butic Show. He's Dan, I'm Jake. And Dan, let's get into the All-Star game a little bit now because obviously for our team, the New York Knicks, there's really not much to talk about. We'll get into Other than Mello, really. whether or not <laughs> Mello should shut it down or should he have already have shut it down. I have an opinion on that. But we'll get into that in a second because – for the Knicks and Nets, really not much to talk about this season. Of course, the games are at Madison Square Garden. The skills and the three-point and the dunk competition is at the Barclays Center. That will be on Saturday night. What's your most exciting thing to look forward to about this weekend, though? Oh, well, I you know, four years ago, five years ago, I would tell you it was a dunk contest, but uh, not really anymore. I enjoy the three-point contest. I, I, I'm a big fan of the three-point contest. I agree with you, and I think especially this year, I think we're looking at the best three-point class Absolutely. ever. We'll go through the names right now. Marco Bellinelli, Steph Curry, James Harden, Kyrie Irving, who's the defending champ, Kyle Korver, Wesley Matthews, J.J. Reddick, and Clay Thompson. Those are great. Those are the, that's the, about as that's good really as you That's really the best three-point shooters in the league. If you're going to name, give me your top six, seven three-point shooters, I think you'd name everyone on that list. And that's what you want, and that's the problem I have with the dunk contest. Is it, Who dunks in the dunk contest? You know, it, it, the last four or five years, really, the last six, seven years, it, it's, it, it's really, it's not the, the superstars in the league. And you don't see, the, you know, LeBron do it. You don't see Kobe when he was in his prime doing the dunk contest. You know, those are the guys well, you want to see. LeBron's never done it. He said he was going to do it at one point in his career. He backed out of that. And, you know, you just, you haven't had that same excitement. It's not exciting. It's really not I mean, an exciting event. A couple of years ago, you had Dwight Howard who did it once, or he did it twice, twice. whatever it was. You had Blake Griffin who did it that one time and won. Nate Robinson won a couple times. Three times, I but, think, yeah. But, you know, it really has not been that exciting. You're not getting the most athletic, the most uh, creative dunkers in the NBA doing it, and it really is unfortunate. You really get it. You know, it used to be the greatest thing ever the when Michael that, Jordan would do course. it. Of course. Who was the guy on the Knicks that did it last year? Uh, I think that might have been two years ago. That was two, two years that was ago. James Flight White. White. It who was, no one ever heard of. No one ever heard of him. He was signed off the D League like two weeks before. Just a dunk. Like two weeks <laughs> yeah. before the dunk contest, and then he they jumped him in the dunk contest. Like it was ridiculous. This year the field is. Eh, I mean, it's not horrible. You have um, Mason Plumlee from the Nets, Giannis Antetokounmpo from the Bucks. Try saying that name. Zach Levine from the Wolves, and Victor Oladipo, the Indiana Hoosier himself, from the Orlando Magic. It's not exactly. You know, the greatest field. But it's not the names Plumlee that the really jump yeah, off the Plumlee's page. Yeah, has the hometown uh, love, I guess. The game, the event is at the Barclays Center, and he plays for the Brooklyn Nets. It really just is not that exciting anymore. And, and you know, as we were sit here and record this show, 15 years ago from today, Vince Carter had his magical dunk 
with uh, at the dunk contest when he was a member of the Raptors, and that's where Vince Sanity really started. And I mean, those were the days when the dunk contest was great. You had Michael Jordan's infamous foul line dunk that occurred. The flying. In the dunk contest. You mentioned Kobe Bryant. We already talked about, you know, some of the legendary dunkers, Dominique Wilkins, that was in the contest. And, you know, it really has not been the same, and it's unfortunate because that's used to be what All-Star Weekend was all about. But that's even, what a lot of people even, look forward to. Even Kobe, like, you know, it, you know it's, in recent years, it just hasn't been exciting. You haven't seen Kobe in it the last couple. You haven't seen really any of the superstars to, uh, per se in the event and I think that's what gets people going I think that's why the ratings of the event have tanked over the last 15 years and before we get to the actual game the all-star game give us a prediction who you like in the three-point contest who you like in the dunk contest well since it's since it's voted in the dunk contest now I'd probably go Plumley because he's the hometown man and uh, Kyle Korver in the three-point Kyle Korver hits like every three he takes he's a tremendous three-point shooter he's been doing it for years I'm going to take Korver in the three and I'll take the hometown kid Plumley in the uh, dunk contest. I have an interesting one. I'm going Thompson, Clay Thompson, in the three-pointer. And I'm going to say Victor Oladipo is going to take it from the Magic. If you watch the guy play, he's one of the most athletic Very players athletic in guy. the game. I think that he'll come up with a nice uh, bag of tricks, having a couple of nice dunks, and we might be uh, voting for him. But, I mean, the system is so flawed. It's, yeah, it's the way they it's do just, it. You only get, I think, three or four total dunks it's just it's not what it used to be and it's unfortunate yeah and it's not it's not as exciting as it was it used to be great you know it used they used to have the the judges hold up the signs it's just it's it's not it's not what it was and they're trying to make it more oh texture you know text who you want to win to this number and then the fans vote it's just and and again like i said the play the greatest dunkers are not in the event so it's not as exciting so now let's get to the actual game the all-star game which which everyone cares about We'll be at 8.30 p.m. at Madison Square Garden. What I like about the All-Star game is the last five minutes of the game because if it's somewhat close, you get the players actually trying to play hard at the end of the game. But until then, there's no defense, just a lot of scoring, a lot of dunks. And it's for the fans, I understand that, but not really my cup of tea. If you remember last year, Kyrie Irving was the MVP of the of the game and the, right, the yeah. Eastern Conference did win the game a year ago. And now let's get to what we think this year. Obviously, a lot of injuries on both sides. You don't have Kobe Bryant playing. You don't have Blake Griffin playing. I mean, you're missing a lot of key guys. Of course, Dwayne Wade is not playing for the East. Yeah. Who are you like in the All-Star game, and who's your MVP? Well, oh, well, I stick with the Eastern Conference. I love the Eastern Conference. MVP, I can't predict the MVP in these type of events. Can't do it because it's, it's always never who you think it is. Going with the West, and I'm taking James Harden. That's a good MVP. Pick. But, you know, for us, for us Knicks fans, really not much – it's not, it's not exciting. The season's a wash. The Knicks are tanking. I will say, though, as a Knicks fan, I'm very irritated with Carmelo Anthony. This idea that he has to play in the All-Star game I think is ridiculous. The guy has needed surgery. We've known about this for months. He should have been shutting it down a long time I ago. I agree. I understand that he's going to play in the All-Star game, and he really wants to. But he's missing out on regular season games just to play in the All-Star game. Not a big advocate of it. I get it. It's Melo's team. They're going to let him do it. But, and, you know, as a Knicks fan, I want Carmelo Anthony to be ready for next season when the team should be significantly better. I'm not a fan of him hanging out, moping around until he's going to play in the All-Star game. For what he says, could be only a couple minutes because he's that injured. Well, I agree only because look how, bad, worse. look how bad the Knicks are. You know, and you see, you know, as a Knicks fan, it's, it, it, I agree with you. It's irritating just because this team lo- is pretty much losing. Not, let's be They're losing night in and night out. And here you have your best player, you know, not – at 100%, obviously they don't want him to play, but he'll play in the All-Star game. You know, if it wasn't in New York, it would really tick me off. 
If this, if this yeah. were, if the, it, 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 I understand. Gets that's why he kind of. If yeah. this was in like Orlando or something, this would re, this would be a big story. I think a huge story. But because it's in New York, they're gonna let him slide. They'll let it slide. Yeah, and it's his team. They he, exactly. he signed back with them. So I don't know. Just as a Nick fan, it kind of rubs you the wrong way. No, I totally. But agree. at the end of the day, Melo's gonna shut it down. We've said this. The Knicks are in full on lose for Okafor. <laughs> they're awful. And, you know, it's they the, are the bottom awful. Line is the, the Knicks are horrendous. We know what their situation is. They have all the cap room in the world. You bring in Phil Jackson. You expect them to be able to sign some free agents this offseason to go around and, and you know hopefully pick up a top-tier player in the draft. Even if they don't get Okafor, there's still some talent. They finish with the worst record. They're guaranteed a top-three pick. So the bottom line is for this Knicks team is finish with the worst record possible, get a high draft pick, and hopefully Phil Jackson can bring in some guys because his clock starts on draft night. I tweeted this a couple days ago. The idea that people want to get on Phil Jackson for, the, for this season, fine. But the bottom line is, there's really not much he could have done last year. They were in salary cap flux. They didn't really have many options. The bottom line is, his clock starts on draft night. That's when the Knicks start building for the future. Well, I, I totally agree. I think when when we really start to evaluate Phil, we, we talk about draft night and moving forward after this season. Because we said this this season was going to be a wash anyways. I think what really is frustrating to the Knicks fan base and really frustrating to everyone is how bad they are. You know, I 10-43 and 43 at the break? We didn't think they were going to be 10-43 and 43 at the break. We thought they wouldn't be great. We thought they could be. We thought the team could have been a playoff. I thought team. they'd be maybe a ten seed right now. I really did. I did not think they'd be this bad. And I think that's where it's really concerning is that not that they're you know not that they're you know a bad team. They're a really bad basketball team. They're a really they're, bad. They're awful. They're, awful. they're it, really I bad. I think a college could beat them. Uh, Minus Melo. <laughs> I don't know about that, but they're a really bad basketball team. You know, <laughs> ten wins at this point you in the season. You don't believe in Jim Mullins, head coach? You think a college? It's, it's not a matter of believing. I, I just think you know. A bunch, think of it as a Division One college athletes versus Division Three college athletes. I'm not. You sure? Yes, I would not. I would not put my money on the Bombers to beat the Knicks. But I will tell you this: the Knicks have trouble beating any other team in the NBA. So. Well, there you have it. Dan Vitek is picking the Knicks over the Ithaca College Bombers. We'll set up that matchup. Um, obviously, WICB will carry that broadcast. Not specifically, but anyway, let's get into the Brooklyn Nets real quick because of course they're involved in this all-star game we mentioned the skills competition is on on Saturday and I'll make a point about Darren Williams if the Knicks weren't so horrendous and the Nets weren't so irrelevant Darren Williams would be talked about as one of the biggest busts in it's New York sports it's a terrible trade his, and it will at the time no but it, it be, has his become a terrible trade is so bad and he's a shell of his former self he can't stay on the court remember the game in the playoffs where he was All, yeah. 0, 0, 9 and oh 9 oh it was so, awful I mean Darren Williams is just – he has been just a brutal, brutal contract extension by the Nets. It was a great move at the time, but all of the injuries have just derailed his career. And look at the rest of the Nets roster. They they can't do anything this upcoming offseason because they're still in having salary cap they're issues. They're in salary cap hell they're trying another to couple trade of years. Lopez. They can't get – no one's going to take Joe Johnson's contract. No one's obviously going to touch Darren Williams' contract. And, of course, I truly believe that if Mikel Prokhorov wasn't trying to sell the team, Billy King would be out of a job. Obviously, you're going to leave who you have because Prokhorov, he doesn't really care. He's trying to get out of the Nets and try and sell the team. And, and I think as a Net fan, it disturbs you that here you – Philly King's been awful. Uh, that trade well, I will get to Garnett, we'll, we'll get oh, to – Well, God. we said at the time that that was a trade where – It was very risky. It, it was a very risky trade. It was a trade clearly you decide, well, we're going for it now and we're hope for the it best. It was just It just backfired. But as far as Prokhorov, I'm a Nets fan and I'm not. But if I'm a Nets fan, I'm disappointed. Here five years ago, this guy buys the team. I'm livid. I'm livid. You know, you, you know, you, here five years ago, this guy buys the team, and not only are they he's not only are they going to win, they're going to win championships. He's got a plan. Blah blah blah. He's a stir in New York. They're going to be the team in New York. 
him and Jay-Z. Five years later, Jay-Z's in the agency business. He sold his stock, his share of the team. He doesn't, he's not even an owner of the team Didn't anymore. He didn't have that much to begin with. Anyway. Well, yeah, but the perception was is that it was going to be Jay-Z and, and Prokhorov running the Nets to a championship. Meanwhile, now you have Jay-Z's out of the picture, and here Prokhorov's trying to sell the team. You know, as a Nets fan, I'd feel betrayed. I'd feel uh, very disappointed in the fact that here – you know, a couple of years into Brooklyn, this is not where the Nets should be. And as far as Billy King is concerned, the Nets general manager, he has done a horrendous job. And let's just horrendous think about how bad job. this trade is for a second. The Atlanta Hawks, the number one seed in the Eastern Conference right now, out of nowhere, no one expected this. That's very true. They have themselves four All-Stars, and let's say hypothetically they win the NBA championship and the Brooklyn Nets miss the playoffs. The Hawks have the Nets pick. If yep. the Nets miss the playoffs, that could be a lottery pick. So that you could be talking about a team that's going to go to the NBA Finals, who knows, maybe even win a championship, with a lottery pick. Just shows you just how bad that trade's been. And then, of course, we look at that trade with the Celtics and the, some of the moves that were involved in that deal. The Celtics have the right to swap picks with the Nets for the, at least, I think, the next two or three years. I mean, the bottom line is the Nets gave up a lot of picks, and they also gave up a lot of picks to be able to swap. So they're in a situation where their future has been so far mortgaged, you really don't know what's going on with that team. And it's Yeah, and it's true. And all the moves they have made haven't haven't worked out. I mean, forget about the Garnett and Pierce trade, which, you know, obviously Pierce is gone and Garnett's an old man. Which was a mistake not bringing Paul Pierce it was back. A, it was a mistake not bringing Paul Pierce back because Paul Pierce, you know, even though the Nets, we knew the Nets weren't going to win a championship last year, you know, the season ended on a nice note for the Nets last year. Obviously, they lost to Miami, but, you know, it looked like Paul Pierce was a real leader of this team towards the end of, the, towards the end of everything. You know, well, you, they beating the Raptors in the playoffs. But that happened to run into the no, heat in the no, second no, round. No, no, yeah, but we, we, let's, when we looked at the Nets going into the playoffs this year, we weren't saying, wow, this is a team that can make a run into the championship. This is a team can make a nice run. They're probably not going to get past Miami. They're not probably not going to get past we Indiana. We said they could beat the Raptors. And, we, they, and they did. They won game seven. But it looked run. like they were having something going with Paul Pierce leading them into the playoffs, leading the young troops, and it just – him leaving was really rough, and obviously Kevin Garnett is just not a shell of the player he was three or four years ago, even la- towards the end of last year. So uh, it just every move Billy King has made has backfired. And as far as Deron Williams is concerned, I mean, this guy was a tremendous— this guy was the best point guard in the NBA when the Nets acquired him, and he has fallen into irrelevancy. He's, you know, between the injuries and then you mentioned that bad contract extension, they're really stuck with him. They cannot—they're not going to be able to move him, at least for the next— Two years. They're not going to be able to move him. He's going to be stuck with the Nets. Uh, just a very bad situation for the Nets. And I think once ownership, a new ownership gets involved and, and you know, new people running basketball operations, Billy King's going to be out of a job. I, I just He has done a very poor, very, very poor job leading this team. And how many, how many coaches is he going to get a chance to select? How many coaches is he going to ch- get a well, chance to yeah, have? Yeah, it really is unbelievable. You remember a couple of years ago they had, you know, Avery Johnson. They fired him. And they just—they've gone through a coach. I mean, carousel. since since they've been in Brooklyn, it's been Avery Johnson, PJ Carlissimo, oh, right. J- Carlissimo, who I thought was a very good coach. You get yeah, rid of him and you bring in Jason Kidd. I didn't like that move from the start because you remember last year we talked about it, the Nets were built to win, and you brought in a rookie head coach who had to learn on the job. And you see what Kidd's done this year with the Milwaukee Bucks, year two in his coaching career, and he's done a lot better. That team is playing a lot better than people thought. They might be in the uh, the race for the eight seed if they keep things going up. It was unfortunate that. Jabari Parker went down, but my point yeah, but being, I, yeah. Kidd has done a nice job there. And you get rid of Jason Kidd. Obviously, he had the issues with ownership and with Billy King. And then you're on another coach. And we heard the rumors that you know the team is not buying into Lyle Holland. They're just not very good. There. This Nets team is not very good. And how many coaches? You're right. How, how many, many coaches, coaches is Billy? Through? How many coaches is Billy King going to get a chance to, to go through? I really think this is it for him. Uh, I think the Nets are going to clean house and try to try to start over again and try to you know. M- 
wait the next couple of years to get out of it. Because they're really, they're in cap hell. They're in a rough Billy spot. Billy King will have until there's a change in ownership. No, that's, yeah, until there's a change Which in ownership. Which could be soon. We don't and know. You, and you know, if you're a Nets fan, you hope it's soon because we, we got to get moving forward here. And, Dan, another point to bring up, talking about the Nets and their ownership situation, is just look at the Islanders, our hometown team, that, of course, is actually moving to the Barkley Center where the Nets, of course, play their home games. You know, the Islanders always had a lack of stability in the ownership. You didn't know what Charles Wong was going to do. You didn't know if he was trying to sell the team, if the team was going to have to move to Quebec, if the team was going to have to move to Kansas City. Once they figured out their ownership and they were able to decide that the team was going to move to Brooklyn, a year later Charles Wong announces he's selling his major stake in the team. The Islanders this past offseason, I don't think it's any coincidence that they spent some money for once, improved their roster, and now they're one of the better teams in the NHL. And I don't think there's a coincidence either, Jake. It's tough to win when there's, a st- when there's not a stability in ownership. And when there is a, when there's not a stability in ownership, and you've got a coach like in Lionel Hollins, if the players aren't buying into a, it, you can't win that way. It's, it's impossible to the win that way. The with the Nets, they're not talented enough, and they don't have the talent. Yeah, and uh, that's above also- anything else. That is that is the, the number one thing. Right. But as far as the Knicks and the Nets are concerned, the Knicks are really in better shape than the Nets moving forward. Yeah, as bad as the Knicks are entering the All Star break at ten and forty three. You make a great point. The Knicks are in better shape than the Nets. You look at the Knicks. Much they, better shape. They have a lot of cap room. They still have their superstar in Carmelo Anthony under contract for the next four seasons. He's by far the best player in New York if you compare the two teams' rosters. Then you look at the fact that the Knicks actually have all their picks coming up. They could potentially have the number one overall pick in June. At least a top three pick if they guaranteed they're guaranteed that if they finish with the NBA's worst record. The Nets have no salary cap space. They're loaded with awful contracts for at least the next two seasons. So the Knicks going forward could be a significantly better team than the, New, than the I almost called them New Jersey, than the Brooklyn Nets going forward. We'll it's a, see. It's a great point. The Nets are really in, they're just, they're in, they're in salary cap hell. And, and, and that's really the only term you could use. They are just in such bad situation financially. And until they get proper ownership in there, and really get Billy King out of there and get a new GM and, and have the new owner, maybe a new coach too, that's when they'll really move forward. That's the start of it. And the worst place to be in sports is irrelevant. And right now I just don't think people really care about the Nets outside of their Nets fans. No one's talking about the Nets. At least the Knicks, you know what their situation is. They're one of the marquee franchises in the league. You know going forward you had Phil Jackson. A lot more optimism surrounding the Knicks going forward than I think the Nets. Very true. Because And Phil Jackson has a lot to do with that. Absolutely. So let's move on now before we wrap up the show. I want to talk a little bit about the NFL draft. We're obviously still months away, but a little football news The mocks are on. coming out. The we're we're ready to go. And Mel Kuyper and uh, Todd McShay. Very, very quickly, Dan, I want you to tell everyone who is unaware of your thoughts on Mel Kuyper and his hibernation that he goes into. Tell him a little bit about your thoughts on Mel Kuyper, and then we'll get into the latest mock drafts and what the Jets should do at number six. No, I like Mel Kuyper. He's very, ta- he's very knowledgeable, but he only comes out post uh, post uh, Super Bowl, then he's here until the the April draft, he's uh, late April, hibernation. and then he you do not hear from him again. And he hibernates. He hibernates. He he studies film, studies film. He scouts players. He's very busy during now, the year. You told me you don't think he leaves his house. I don't. Th- no, he just watches film. And then finally, ESPN puts a camera in his house, a backdrop, and he does the the Sports Center uh, the Sports Center um, ready cams. And speaking of Mel Kuyper Jr., we just mentioned it. in the latest mock draft that he released, he has Jameis Winston going number one, and at number six, the New York Jets take Marcus Mariota out of Oregon. A lot of controversy surrounding what the Jets should do at that spot. A couple scenarios, obviously, we don't know if Mariota is going to be there. That's what a big if Mariota question. actually goes first overall? They find out some information about Winston. It's so early to really depict what we think is going to happen. But the Jets at number six are in a very interesting situation because if Mariota's there and the Philadelphia Eagles come calling and Chip Kelly wants to move up and take his guy, 
What do you do if you're the Jets? Well, that's a good question. I think if Mar- Marcus Mariota is there at six, I think the Jets are going to take him. I, I think I, I think he's just a, a guy at six. The Jets are in desperate need of a quarterback, and I think he's a guy that uh, in this draft, one of two guys, him and Jameis, that are franchise-type quarterbacks, franchise elite, that can lead a team and really be – the face of your franchise. So I don't. I think the Jets will take him if he falls to six. But if somehow the Eagles call calling it, come calling, and they're willing to give up a lot, I think the, it's something the Jets should seriously consider. Well, as a Jet fan, to me, the situation comes down to how much are the Eagles going to give. For example, they give. They're willing to give two first round picks and Nick Foles. I'm sorry. I think I have to take that deal. I think that sets you up going forward. But the bottom line is, if you're the Jets and you truly believe Marcus Mariota could be your franchise quarterback, if he is indeed there at number six, because I have some doubt that he will. I personally think that Tennessee at number two uh, could surprise everyone to take a quarterback. I don't know how much they really believe, obviously, in Locker. And Isn't Locker much, a free agent? I, I couldn't even tell you. I think Jake Locker's a free agent, so I, I, there's a very good chance. And, but and they, they, they claim to have, like, Mettenberger, who got injured when he was playing. And, he was, aw- and he was awful. He wasn't great. He was okay. You know, they, 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 they seem to be high on him. If you're Tennessee, why wouldn't you take Marcus Mariota at number two? That's why I understand people think that he might fall to number six and the Jets might be able to get him. But the idea that it's a given that if he's there, the Jets take him, I'm not sure. The, Mike McGagan has to like the guy enough and believe that he's going to be a franchise quarterback because if not, the Jets are number six and the Eagles come calling, you have to strongly consider what they're offering. Well, it, uh, you know, and that, that comes down to it too, Jake. How much do Todd Bowles and Mike McGagan and the Jets' new front office brass value Marcus Mariota if they think he's the next he's the, he's in the next franchise quarterback and he's the guy that could lead the, he's the guy that could lead the Jets to a championship or lead them to going forward you take him no matter what if they are doubt about it and the Eagles come calling you know maybe they'll be open to make a trade I think they might be but I think if it comes down to it I would be very shocked if Marcus Mariota comes to falls to six and he's not a New York Jet I think if he's there, they're going to take, take him. take him. I think they're going to take him. And I think if Jameis is there, too, they would take him. You see, I, I'm not so sure about Jameis just because of everything he brings as far as the off-the-field issues and a distraction being in New York. I think if any quarterback is more likely to be there, That's I think true. it's Mariota, though. I think Jameis will go number one overall. I think it would be foolish for the Bucks to pass him up. I think it would be a good fit in Tampa. I think it's a good coach in Lovey Smith there that can handle Jameis' antics. And I think leaving him in Florida, where I'm sure he has a large contingent of fans that support him at Florida State, that would support him, support him in Tampa Bay. That I think that would make the most sense. You know what? It's interesting. And what did we hear a couple months ago? We heard that there was no doubt that uh, Marcus Mariota would go number one to Tampa this Bay. Changes it changes. All the time. And we, we didn't even get to the combine, yet. pro days. Yep, a there's lot a lot that goes into and it. And you know that there's going to be a lot of investigating into Jameis Winston's past. You know, I, I, well, but I think be smart. I mean, if you have the number one overall pick, you better know everything about this oh, kid. And these teams, of course, do so. And I Him think, stealing crab legs. Yeah, well, here's the thing. As long as Jameis Winston doesn't rob a 7-Eleven, I think he's going to be first overall. What if he does rob a 7-Eleven? Then I don't think he's going to be first Then he'll fall overall. and the Jets will take him. They, they'll take him at number six. They'll take him at number six. Because you don't know why? Same old Jets. The same old Jets. Missing on quarterback. Different head coach and a different quarterback. It doesn't matter. Same old Jets. I, I think if if I think in all seriousness, if Mari if Mariota falls to six, I'd be very shocked if the Jets don't take him. I think he's a guy that has a lot of tools, a lot of great tools. I understand he's a system quarterback, but I think he's he's very tough to that's very tough to pass up on. Considering and, that it's not like there's a quarterback in the draft that, that at least we haven't heard of, and, and all, from all eyes are pointing to that, all fingers are pointing that there isn't a quarterback in the draft other than these two that can be franchise guys. I can't see the Jets passing up on them. Listen, at the end of the day, the opportunity is there for the Jets and Marcus Mariota sitting there. You know what you have in Geno Smith. There's no free agent quarterback out there that's going to help this team 
go far and, and be a building block going forward. Unless yeah. you make a trade for, let's say, Nick Foles, Marcus Mariota's got to be your guy. So I agree. You know what? If he's there, I think the Jets will take him. But a lot of that, obviously, is yet to be determined. We're going to have pro days. We're going to have combines. A lot combines. goes into it, yep. Mike McGagan and Todd Bowles, they have to make sure they like this guy to be able to pull the trigger. And and let's see what the Jets do also going forward in free agency, too. March 10th, free agency opens up. And uh, I think it's that's very key what the Jets go moving forward. Remember, they have a lot of cap room that John and Zick didn't use. And they have to spend it because, by rule, you have to spend at least a third of your cap every so often. And the Jets are at that point where they're going to have to be heavy spenders of free agency. And I uh, real quick before we wrap up the show, Percy Harvin – do $10.5 million. The Jets do not have a pure number one wide receiver. If you're Mike McGagan, that's one of your first big moves you're going to make as the Jets general manager. Do you cut Percy Harvin and say, hey, he's obviously not a $10.5 million player, but what can you get on the free agent market that's available? I don't think you're going to be able to get a Demarius Thomas. I don't think you're going to be able to get a Des Bryant. I don't think you're going to be able to get a Randall Cobb. So I think at the end of the day, Harvin may not be worth that $10.5 million, but you know what? His money going forward is not guaranteed. You keep him for one more year. If he doesn't play well, you can cut him. I think if I'm McGag and I'm keeping Harvin, what about you? Oof, that's a t- it's a tough decision only because there. You know, a guy like Demarius Thomas on the free agent market. Can you bring him in? I don't think they can. And well, that's that's the big question: is do the Jets You're feel overpaying him? No. But, the, well, yeah. You know, well, do you rather overpay Demarius Thomas or do you rather overpay Percy Harvin? But I, think I don't think I don't think Denver's letting these guys go. Well, I don't think we'll see. Well, I don't think I don't think. Uh, the Jets are going to be able to get another former Bronco wide receiver. Uh, you know, I I, I, Cobb, I tend to – no, I, I agree with you. I tend to agree with you. I, I, I would bring back uh, Percy Harvin just because we did see towards the end of the season how explosive he can be when he's healthy. I think he's a, he's a really good receiver. Obviously overpaid. I, I mean, the Jets don't have anything better. I think him, Decker, Curley, and then Amaro at tight end, that, that's it's pretty nice. That's and, pretty nice. And here's the thing. You can always add players in the draft. And one True. thing we didn't talk about when we were just talking about what could the Jets do at number six. Let's say Mariota gets taken two or three or wherever he goes. I think most likely two to the Titans. Don't forget, Amari Cooper could be there. That's true, and that's a, and and that is he is a lock to be a star in the NFL. I mean, everyone says that he's, he's and you can just see him on tape. He's the biggest lock in the draft, and and he he really has all the tools of a, of a big time NFL receiver. And if he's there, it's sick. So let's say the Jets take him at six. Look at your receiving core, pretty nice. Oh, absolutely. And maybe you can make Marvin Decker, I and, mean, that, and, and then Amaro at tight end. And Curly is your you know fourth or fifth option. Then you, you're, you're all of a sudden you're talking about a Jets team that had no receivers to a Jets team that's pretty deep a receiver. Yeah, and that'd be a really good receiving course. So that's another option for them to do at number six. If let's just say you know he falls in, in their lap at number six, if Mariota gets taken early, or they're not a big believer, Mariota. We don't know. It's so far away. But Cooper could be an option for the Jets. And look. Bottom line is, if I'm McGagan, the Jets GM, I'm keeping Percy Harvin. I know you're overpaying him, but you have the money to spend, and Harvin is a very good player. And I'm very interested to see how Percy Harvin would be able to play in this Chan Gailey offense if Chan Gailey goes back to calling the spread, which he did when he was with the Bills in 2012. Well, we'll see, because, you know, Percy would look great in that spread offense. You know, it, it utilizes his strength, but we'll see what the Jets do. I mean, maybe they value Marcus Mariota so much they're willing to jump up a couple that's spots. What I, that's why I don't think enough people are talking about. The Jets have the resources to move up. If they love a quarterback, and let's say they want to move up to number three, if Tennessee passes on Mariota, assuming Winston goes one, add number three to the Jaguars or even number four to the Raiders, I think you jump up and you do it. Because well, the draft order is obviously Tampa, Tennessee, Jaguars, Oakland, Redskins, Jets. The Jets might have to move up past five to take the quarterback before the Redskins do if they're interested in taking. Because you know, I think if he's there, you they know, might. you know, you don't know what. The, it's very tough because he's, there's a lot of teams that are ahead of the Jets. Well, not a lot, but there are a couple teams ahead of the Jets that 
you don't know if they definitely need a quarterback. You don't know what they're going well, to do. Well, to name them, it's Tennessee. You yep. don't know what they're going to do at number two. Oakland, even Oakland. Even Oakland. Derek Carr, he played well, but there's no guarantee that the new regime there is going to want Derek Carr as their answer. If Mariota's there and someone believes that he's going to be the next great quarterback, you got to take, take him. him. You take him, you trade Carr. You know, so, you know, even Oakland, you're right, Dan. Even Oakland's a possibility. I think the only team that's in that middle of the pack that would definitely not take a quarterback it's Jacksonville. is Jacksonville because they drafted Bortles third overall a season ago. I agree. I think they're the only team that is definitely wouldn't take a quarterback because you know a quarterback's going to go one. I, you, you Probably Jameis. You know a quarterback's going to go one. Oakland could take a quarterback. Tennessee, you know, like you mentioned, who knows if they're really sold on Mettenberger, if they bring back Locker, really what they do. They could – be in the market for Marcus Mariota. There's a lot of things that could happen here, and we're still, you know, obviously a long ways away from the NFL draft. Well, that's going to wrap up our show. I thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Thank you to our fabulous producers for all the help putting this broadcast over the airwaves, and we thank everyone, of course, for tuning in. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Asman Butick Show, at Dan Butick, at Jake Asman. You can like our page on Facebook, The Asman Butick Show. That's what it is on Facebook. And for Dan Budick, I'm Jay Gasman saying so long. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Asman and Budick podcast. Make sure you go on to iTunes and subscribe to the show.